Hey folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear Mike O'Brien. When the cops showed up, they were like, we got a man out back. And I'm like, cool, get him, man. Bring him to me. And, <laughs> and uh, they, uh, they pulled guns on my downstairs neighbor who was for some reason peeing in his own yard. That and more. But first, Detroit, Detroit, Detroit. We are still seeking pitches for our show there at the Magic Bag on July 30th. If you're hearing this, then email pitches at risk-show.com. You don't have to be a practice storyteller. We help coach you through the process. The optional themes that we thought up for that night were confrontation or delicious or intuition. But the overall theme of risk is what really counts. That these are stories about peak experiences in life, experiences that people were especially emotionally invested in, and that feel it's revealing and radically honest to be sharing about on stage. So if you think you have an idea for a story, or know someone who probably does, email us at pitches at risk-show.com. See if you can summarize what you think will happen in the beginning and the middle and the end of the story in less than 300 words. You know, we're talking a paragraph, several sentences. And we'll get back to you no matter what. If it sounds like, oh my gosh, we could use a story like that that evening in Detroit on July 30th, we will start working with you on it. Also, tickets are available for that Detroit show on July 30th at the Magic Bag in Ferndale, Michigan, Detroit. Or for the 31st, the next night, July 31st, we're in Chicago at Lincoln Hall. Tickets are also available for that. Go to risk-show.com slash tour to get your tickets before the shows sell out. And also, if you hear us calling for pitches somewhere and think, ah, maybe I've missed the deadline, pitch us anyway. We are always keeping track of pitches and returning to people a year later, two years later. You can send us a new pitch of a pitch you've already sent or multiple pitches. We love pitches. And lots more tips on pitching can be found at riskdeshow.com slash submissions. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now here's the show. Hello, kids. This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison. This is Casino vs. Japan, behind me now. And we're calling this week's episode Patreon Picks 3. We're going to feature content on today's episode that over the past year we've been featuring as bonus stories over on Patreon. Each year we like to give everyone just a little bit of a taste, anyone who is not over at Patreon, you know, how great the bonus content over there is. And today's episode will prove to you exactly that. This is a lot of fun on this episode today. Fun stories and sweet stories. We can always use more of that. Folks, I've said this on the podcast before, how for a long time I've been curious about maybe moving to a different country and seeing if I can do more good in the world from whatever change that sort of move might open up. And I'm still exploring that possibility. And I do want to connect with other people who are considering doing the same thing or who are in the process of doing the same thing or who already have done that or people who love where they're living and want to have me as a new friend in town. <laughs> so I created an email address where anyone who's interested in connecting with others about maybe moving to another country can share info and support that is at expatnetwork994 at gmail.com. You can email me there if you want to know more. expatnetwork994 at gmail.com. Only I see the emails that come to that address right now. And I will get back to you if you write to me there. And just so that I don't freak everyone out, if I did move to another country, I would still aim to keep risk running. In fact, a big part of this whole idea is that such a move might help us expand on what we're doing here in some ways. So I just wanted to throw that out there. 
Now let's get to the stories. We are about to hear Mike O'Brien, a story that he shared at a Risk Live show in Los Angeles several years back. You can find him on Twitter at Mike O'Brien XOXO. And here he is now with a story we call Get to Know Your Burglar. So uh, I, I lived in Chicago for most of my 20s doing uh, sketch and improv comedy there. There was one night where I was living in, uh, uh, real quick, is anyone here named Calvin Whiting? <laughs> I can't see you, so yell yes if, okay, does anyone know Calvin Whiting? So I was living in Chicago, and uh, uh, there was one night where I was watching a movie with a, a girl in my apartment. We were watching Torque. I don't know if you remember, but before Fast and Furious, there was a real one named Torque. <laughs> Anytime you want to get stoned and be like, we're going to watch an ironic car-ish super bike movie, watch Torque. Don't watch those other ones. Uh, and uh, the movie was over, and we were not dating, so we did not make love. I, I went to walk her home. And uh, it took like 15 minutes. It was like Wrigleyville, which means by Wrigley Field in Chicago, which means just bars and shit. And it was like 2 a.m. on a Friday. So I walked her home through that and came right back. It took about 15 minutes round trip. And as I came back up my steps in my apartment, I lived with two other guys. There were three of us there. But I was the only one home that weekend. And uh, there were more lights on in my apartment than I remembered leaving on when I left to walk her home. I got a weird feeling, but I walked in the door, and then the next thing that felt off when I walked in the door was that there were wigs all over the floor, um, which, um, I mean, granted, <laughs> we were like sketch comedians, so there were some wigs on hand, but um, never strewn about. I just got like a sinking feeling in my stomach. Well, no, first I told myself it was all cool, and I made up a story in my mind. I said... My two roommates, who were supposed to be doing an improv festival in St. Louis this weekend, drove home and arrived at Friday night at 2 a.m. Instead of doing any comedy in St. Louis, they just came home and dug through all of our bags and threw wigs everywhere. <laughs> what are the... You guys, hello? And uh, that immediately was like, you're an idiot. This is unsafe. Um, and the hair on the back of your neck type moment. And the weirdest thing about walking through that apartment at that moment was that my roommate who was out of town named Bo, his, his room I had lived in the year before and then we'd switched rooms. And I knew that the only light were lights were lamp lights and that you had to go way in his little skinny, long ass room and turn a lamp on way back there. And I saw the lamp was on and I was like, someone was deep in our shit. Someone was in our shit. And I was gone for 15 minutes. This person is here. So I got a golf club out of the golf bag uh, that was my other roommate, Jake's, and I, I did the whole search like this, which I would have been useless in a fight. I was just fucking shaken up. If you're ever robbing a place, no, you got the drop on them. They're scared. <laughs> you're going to win. Uh, and uh, so I searched the whole thing like that, turning corners, 
and uh, got to the kitchen and a, a window was smashed inward and um, there's some blood on the windowsill and the back door was ajar. So I was like, okay, he or she <laughs> could be the first female s- solo robber. Um, probably ran out there. And uh, so I assessed the damage and right off the bat, I could tell that my laptop was gone and my iPod, which was the highest form of technology in that area at the time. <laughs> My fucking iPod was gone, and uh, my laptop and my backpack was gone. They'd clearly been put in there and taken. So I called the police. Uh, by the way, at the time, I also liked thinking about, once I fully embraced that I had been robbed in 10 minutes, a couple thoughts. Like, one, so was he watching us watch Torque? <laughs> How did he know to move so fast, right? Smash a back window, get your arm in, unlock the door, get in, get out, all while I walked a girl home. Was he home when I first came in? But while I was, like, looking around at wigs, he walked out, the, you know, was like, oh, fuck. Uh, also, what did he think when he opened a suitcase that was one of our prop <laughs> suitcases? He was like, there will be a laptop in here, too. If someone's going out of town, you take your laptop. What? Oh, these people travel with eight wigs, two top hats, and four plastic guns. Okay. Uh, so... I would like to ask him all those questions. But uh, he, he got away, and uh, the police came. They did another quick, weird moment, was waiting for the police. A drunk guy in Wrigleyville stumbles up and is like, Michael O'Brien, I've got your passport, sir, and gave me uh, my passport. He did, in fact, have it. Uh, that had been in my backpack and thrown out a window, maybe. I don't know why that was just discarded in Wrigleyville, but um, another question I'd like to ask uh, the thief also, a weird moment when the cops showed up, they were like, we got a man out back. And I'm like, cool, get him, man. Bring him to me. And, <laughs> and uh, they, uh, they pulled guns on my downstairs neighbor who was, for some reason, peeing in his own yard. <laughs> I don't know why, why that had to happen. But um, he has a bathroom. I was in his apartment once. Um, <laughs> But they, uh, they said, okay, you need to call your roommates right now. They're out of town. You need to find out what they lost. We're making a list of what was lost. So I called my roommates, and I got their voicemail, and I was like, hey, I know you guys are doing the gig in St. Louis. Uh, we've been robbed. Um, I lost uh, a very nice Dell laptop, very heavy but very nice. <laughs> and uh, all my writing was on there and an iPod. So let me know if you guys brought your uh, your phones and your iPods and your laptops. And um, they left me a voicemail back at some point in the night. Well, first, let's cut to them in the car or hotel where they get the voicemail. And they're like, they retold this later. They were like, fuck, O'Brien got broken into while he was home alone in our apartment. That's, that's sucky. That's scary. Oh, wait, you guys, it's April 1st, which it was. Uh... <laughs> Oh, we're all comedians. Got it. It's a bit. Nice. Um, Okay. So what's the best way to get him back? I guess let's do fake nice. So they called back and left me a voicemail that was like, dude, sounds like you had a pretty scary night, which I had. I'd gone over and stayed at that girl's place again, didn't make love. Uh, We smooched like a year after that, the trauma. Uh... (laughs) But uh, they were like, sounds like a scary night, and we, uh, we made a little extra money on our St. Louis gig, and so we're going to get you an iPod shuffle. At least that's out of the way. And um, I never said this, but I wanted to say, well, it wasn't a shuffle. 
those are the little guys you used to clip on your glasses or something. That I, I'm like, I had a real iPod. But, um, uh, but I called them back, got their voicemail, and was like, please don't, God, the thought of it alone, you guys are broke, I'm broke. This is, no, thank you. I love you. You're my brothers. I love you. Uh, but they were, that was a joke. Uh, they were playing to up my joke. Uh, and one of them still to this day is like, I love the breaking joke still to this day. And I'm like, we got broken into. And he's like, I love that you commit, man. <laughs> um, and so, so a year later, I got a phone call. I kind of know where. Hi, this is the Chicago Police Calling. I'm Officer O'Malley. I'm taking over your case from Officer Sanchez, who is retiring. And I picture these two cops going out to dinner and one of them, you know, Sanchez being like, you know, there's one thing that still eats at me. <laughs> there's a cold case out there that I want you to take over. An improv guy's laptop got taken. And, uh, but more than anything, it just takes them a year to run the blood on non-murder cases, which I guess it should. I mean, ideally you'd speed it up, but do the murder ones. Um, and, and he was like, we ran the blood. We know who it is. Do you know a guy named Calvin Whiting? And I said, no. I, and they're like, okay, just because a lot of times it's the guy, that's a, you know the guy. I'm like, cool, yeah, I don't. And he's like, well, he's locked up already for a crime that he committed while his blood was in line. Uh, and uh, I said, oh, okay. And he's like, do you want to try to press charges and add to his sentence? And I said, no, that's okay. But where, you know, where's he at? And he said, you know, downstate Illinois, correctional, whatever. And so I wrote to him and I said, hey, Calvin, not cool. <laughs> you shook me up bad. I was scared. And I was broke. And also I didn't have an external hard drive. So there was whole plays and sketch shows on that laptop that are gone. And I don't remember them real well. I was high when I wrote a couple of them and they were really creative. And um, I was bummed out by what you did, man. Uh, write me back, Mike. And uh, he did. He wrote back, and he's, you know, it was like, uh, hey, a lot about God. Um, <laughs> God's blessed this, and God, God has saved me from getting a longer sentence or something. I was like, uh, yeah, okay. Um, by the way, I'm out, and here's a phone number. And I was wrote back, and also called the number, and was like, cool, yeah, well, let's get a beer on you. The beer's on you, bro. Uh, it's my laptop. Um, and we had phone tag for a little while, uh, me and Calvin. He was living with his sister, and I would call and get his sister, and she'd always be like, oh, you're that guy? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're the guy who wants my brother to go out for a beer because he broke into your house? Okay, yeah, fine. Uh, we'll work that out. Uh, but we did. We had a lot of phone tag. Uh, then um, I got uh, Plug Plug, got hired by a theater called Second City. Uh, check it out. I worked there for a year, eight years ago. But uh, <laughs> um, And it's like eight shows a week and everything. And all of a sudden, Calvin and I, our communication faded. <laughs> I was working too much, and we ended up not ever connecting. So uh, Calvin owes me a beer. And if you hear any talk of him, the, also the phone number is no longer, his sister's not there or something. Um, the whole family may not be in the best situation, but uh, if you hear about Calvin Whiting, have him hit me up. I'm on Twitter. Uh, and thank you guys. Thank you, Beowulf.
sit around the house, get high and watch a tune. And here's what happened when they decided to cut loose. They headed down to Old El Paso. I swear they ran into a great big castle. Billy Joe shot a man while robbing his castle. This is Risk. This is the Steve Miller Band behind me now, and we just heard from Mike O'Brien. Now, previously that story was only available on Patreon as one of our bonus stories there. That goes for everything you are hearing on this week's episode, Patreon Picks number three. There's well over 150 bonus stories over there. There's over 60 check-ins. Those are interviews with storytellers, staff members, sometimes just me checking in about how things are behind the scenes. You have access to ad-free versions of the episodes over there. There's storytelling training opportunities for people who give certain amounts. But more importantly than anything else, if you become a member at patreon.com slash risk, you are very, very much acting as an essential part of this show. We rely very much on the financial assistance of the people who love what we do. We've only just started paying back this colossal government loan from the midst of the pandemic. We so dearly wish we could hire a few more people because we are so overextended and fiercely determined to keep this show running. So help us out and benefit in all kinds of ways by becoming a member at patreon.com slash risk. And if you want to make a one-time donation, that's at paypal.me slash risk show. Folks, if you like good old-fashioned true crime mysteries, if you like stories where you feel like you're a detective finding clues, June's Journey is the name of this new game that you can play on your iPhone or your Android. You are uncovering the mystery of June's sister's murder. It's this well-to-do family in the 1920s living in a great Gatsby-like mansion. Each scene uncovers new aspects of the story. Some parts are in New York. Some parts are in Paris. There's all kinds of objects you're finding and trying to assess whether they're meaningful or not. You collect information, filling out your own photo album, and you're keeping track of all the characters. There's romance, there's scandalous family secrets. It feels like a really fun play or movie. And I've only made it through like five scenes, but I am told you could crack the case. 
All you need is an internet connection and downloading on iOS or Android. So discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Let's get back to the stories now, folks. We have a bunch in our Patreon Picks episode left to go, stories that previously you could only access over at Patreon, along with all our other bonus content. In a little bit, we're going to hear from Stella Harris. Stella, who is a favorite of the Mystery Box show and Risk. But before that, we're going to hear an anecdote compilation. Now, this is a feature that appears on Patreon fairly often, where three anecdotes sent in by listeners might be edited together. And in that one, we are going to hear from Emily Colburn, Tessa, and Liz. But before all that, we're going to hear from Lindsay Hoffman. Now, this was recorded when Risk was in Detroit in 2015, and all of the microphones conked out, except for one. So the audio here is from the audience, a microphone placed in the audience, and it's bad audio. That's one of the reasons that we sometimes hold on to stuff and maybe put it on Patreon instead, but we've always loved this story, and you can make out well enough what Lindsay (laughs) is saying. So we're finally running it here on the free feed. This is Lindsay Hoffman, who you can find on Instagram at Lindsay Awesome, with a story we call The Applicant. costume that I made with a shirt that said Lindsay Soares Rex that I ironed on myself. (laughs) It was really cute. Um, I was going to a Halloween party later. It was appropriate at the time. And I was sitting in my boss's office and I was waiting for him to come in and as he came in he also brought an HR person with him. So as you can see where this is going, it wasn't going great. I had just been suspended from work. I had been suspended for three weeks for stealing. I got fired from my job that day for stealing. I had stolen four free passes to a haunted house in the middle of Wixom. Uh, I used to run a teen center in Closet, and I did it for eight years, and it was a really important thing to me, and I took an entire busload of children to this shitty haunted house in Wixom because 89X was working with them, and that's the station I worked for, and I thought it'd be cool, I'd bring out 40 kids, $10 a head, that seems pretty reasonable, and I would use the four spare free passes for the staff. What am I gonna pay $10 to go to this stupid thing? No, I wasn't doing this for me. But here I am, in my boss's office, telling me that this is it. 
Now, during this time, I had been interviewing for a job on air at 89X, and I had turned in my first air check, and if you don't know what an air check is, it's like a uh, voice demo, and you give them your voice demo, and they listen to it, and then they tell you everything that's wrong with it, and then you cry in your car. So that's like the, that's the steps. And then you start over, and you do it over and over until you quit, and you don't do it anymore because it's sad. So like, I had just turned in my first air check, I was kind of freaking out about it, and I was like, something, but everybody had so many positive things to say. Like, everybody was giving me great feedback about the air check, and I was losing my mind. Because I thought I was going to get the job I always wanted. I wanted to be on the radio. Ever since I was a little kid, I would be the one that had, you know that tape deck with the microphone attached to it? And you could play a tape and you could talk to people. Well, I used to take that. I would like set it outside the front door and close it and then hide. And when people would walk by, I'd be like, hey. Hello. Like as a little kid. Or I would be at the beef carver. Anyone in familiar uh, with my family? And I would take it up and set it on people's tables and I would be like, would you like to hear a joke? <laughs> and then they would say yes and I would yell, joke, like really loud into it. I always had a thing for the microphone, so I think everybody knew I wanted to do it. And I love music too, so I wanted to work at UNIX because it was the coolest place to work. And I felt, I never felt closer to having the dream job. And I'm sitting in this office and he's talking and all I can really hear in the background is Papa Roach playing. Because I don't want to hear what he's saying at all, so I just hear like, Cut my life into pieces, and it's so appropriate that it's kind of awful. And you know, when like you're under this like stressful, press, like pressured situation, you kind of don't know what's going on, and you know you're getting fired, but like something's happening, and you just yell some shit. <laughs> you just like say some shit that's like, oh yeah, no, it's cool. If I don't have to work here anymore because I'm gonna move to New York and work at K Rock. I have never once thought about that in my whole life. Like, I just know it exists. I've, like, never even been to New York before. And I only know about it, like, word of, like, you know, Howard Stern, like, that's a cool place to be. So, here I am saying these crazy things. I was like, it's cool. And I start packing up my stuff. I'm not even out of the meeting yet. I was like, he's still talking. I'm leaving. I'm over it. I'm moving to New York. So I'm going to leave. So I'm packing up my stuff, and I get into the elevator. And I, it's when it actually kind of all started to hit me a little bit that it was actually not I was moving to New York. That's just some shit I said to look cool. And really what it was is that you don't work here anymore and it's because you did a nice thing for a bunch of kids that you love. And that's really fucked up. And so what happened was I got into the elevator and as it was going down, um, similar to like any time like you kind of like lose your breath, and you realize the levity, like, uh, like the gravity of the situation, I like crouched down and I like couldn't get out of the elevator. And I was like stuck in the elevator. Because if I stayed in the elevator, I still worked here, I wasn't gone yet, nobody would have walked me out. And I cried and cried in this elevator. And then I finally got out and I walked to my car and I got in my car and the first thing I did is when I turned on the car, the radio comes on. I can't do this anymore. Like, being in Michigan and being here, you know, you would drive your garbage to the end of the block if you had to, like, you would drive to the end of the driveway not to have to do, walk anything anywhere. I couldn't even get into my car without thinking about the radio. Number one thing that's synonymous with me with driving is listening to the radio and listening to 89X. I'm listening to my friends be on the radio, people that I work with. I've been working there for five years. That was the plan. I went to school for radio. Who even does that? Nobody. This was it. This was the plan. And it was over. 
and I was devastated. But I did have, on the flip side, I don't want to make you think that like everything in the world was wrong, because I still had a group of like 80 solid, awesome teenagers that I was hanging out with every day running a teen center, so I wasn't alone, and I was doing okay. But I definitely lost the thing I thought was going to be my career, and the career was what I was really worried about. And I don't. when you're depressed, sometimes you don't know about it. I think real depression, sometimes you don't even know that it's happening. And I was living with two of my friends, brothers, they're the best. And they were living with me when this all happened. And one, one day after months, uh, my roommate that lived across the street from me, he, uh, he came into my room and he said like, hey, you know, you don't really, you seem like you're not doing that good and you're kind of sad. And you should maybe think about like, what do you want to do? Like if you're not going to be in radio, maybe you should think of doing another job. And he doesn't even know that when he said that, I was like, do another job? Why would I ever do another job? I have to move to Rock to make that guy look like a dick for firing me. And I don't have any money. So I'm like, more worried about like, making this guy wrong and me being right, which is like a whole thing, my whole life, that's always gonna be like that. And, but what he said really resonated. And I was like, you're right, I need to like, make a plan. So I did. And my friend drove from New York to pick me up. We had a big party and he picked me up at the end of the party and we drove to New York. We drove all night long. I'd only been to New York once. A friend of mine was there for New Year's Eve and we went to visit him and like do the New Year's, New Year's Eve thing, which is kind of a nightmare. New Year's Eve in New York is like the worst day in the world. And now I would never, if you could ask me what day I want to leave, that day. New Year's Eve is the worst day ever. And we were there and it was so fun. And I was there for like less than 24 hours. I was like in New York again for the first time after driving all night long. And we get to his house, and he lives in Harlem. And Harlem is, where he was living is at 110th. This doesn't mean anything if you don't know New York, that's okay. But he's living at 110th. And I get out of the car, and I was like too antsy. You're like, I'm in the city, and you can feel like the energy, and I was feeling positive, and I was feeling happy. And I was like doing it. I was like going to New York, and I was starting like a new life. And when I got there, I was like, you know what would be cool right now, though? if I found out where K-Rock was, because I'm going to work there. <laughs> so I made a Google map, or like, not a Google, sorry, a Yahoo map or whatever, map quest thing on how to walk there. Um, and then I wrote it down on a piece of paper, because it was eight years ago. And then I walked there, and it was 50 blocks away, which is like two and a half miles. I don't know anything about New York. I was like, that doesn't look that far. I'll just do it. It's fine. And it's like August, and I'm sweating. I'm like, it's, I have like the sweat stash. I'm like in a tank top and like these cutoff shorts. And I get to the building and I walk in. It's amazing. It's huge. It's like 25,000 stories high. I've never seen anything like it. It's got this cool slope to it. And Howard Stern used to work there. It doesn't even matter. I'm like awestruck from the moment I walk in. And I'm standing in the lobby. And the guy that works behind the desk was like, are you here for K-Rock? I was like, why well, yes I am, but not right now. Like, not right now, I'm not here for that now, but I am here for that, like, here, like in New York. He's like, are you here? He's thinking, I know what he's thinking, because I've worked in radio, it's like when a person walks in and they look confused, it's there to pick, they're there to like pick up concert tickets, and they came in from out of nowhere, and I have no idea what's going on. He's like, no, no, it's okay, you can just go up, like, you just go up to the 14th floor, don't worry about it, when you get up there, just give them your ID, and I was like, I don't want to. Okay. <laughs> I was like, kind of insistent, and I also was kind of 
kind of scared, but I was also really sweaty, and the air conditioning was like A plus in this building. So I go up to the, the 14th floor, and when I get up there, you don't have any, like you don't have anywhere to go. Like you walk out, there's a receptionist like right there, and she's like, name. Uh, oh hi, no, I'm not here for, I'm not really here for anything. He, she's like, it's okay, just give me your ID. I know, okay. I'm like, give her my ID. And she's like, oh, Lindsay Hoffman. I'll get Pete for you. Take a seat. Who the fuck is Pete? I have no idea what's happening. So I sit down in the lobby. Like one foot when you're so confused and scared. And I flip open like my little Nokia phone and I start texting people because this is crazy. I was like, I'm at K-Rock, something's happening. K-Rock, something's happening. I don't know what's happening. And the door is open after long enough that I could have left. It'd been so long, I should have left. This is totally crazy. You're unprepared to talk to a stranger right now. I, you don't even know about what. And he comes to the door and he's like, oh, sorry, oh my god, it's been a crazy day. Side note, K-Rock had just flipped formats from, which meaning like they used to be like a talk format for like two minutes, and then they went back to alternative rock. So they were like in the middle of like hiring a lot of people, firing a lot of people. It's a wild situation when a format flips. But anyway, he's like, oh my god, so sorry. All right, come with me. And I'm like, okay, go with him, go with him. And I'm wondering like what time I'm gonna have to tell him that I am not supposed to be here and how I'm gonna do that and be like, but then also like parlay that into I still wanna be here and but I wanna come back with like a whole outfit on. And maybe bring my resume. So, and tell you what I wanna do. So, we sit down in the green room and I'm, I'm like shock and awe right now because if you go from Sorry, Windsor, Canada, but 89X in Windsor is like a teeny tiny little place. And now I'm in Howard Stern's studio areas, and it's like the most beautiful building I've ever seen. I'm in New York for the first time. Nothing could be more extravagant and amazing. And I'm sitting in this green room, and it's got signs like platinum records all around. I don't know who, what, whatever. It's not cool bands. I was going to say it's cool bands, but it's like stained. And then, but I was still like really excited about it. And so the guy starts talking to me, he's like, so, uh, it's nice to meet you. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about your experience in radio? I told him, yeah. I just got fired for stealing. <laughs> I didn't steal anything. And I explained it to him because I, for some reason, thought it's gonna come up. Somehow, this guy doesn't even know me. I don't know what we're doing. I don't even know what this is. It's gonna come up that I stole something. So. I told him about the stealing. He didn't seem phased. He asked me more about my experience. I explained to him about how much you know radio experience I had and like what I was trying to do. And he was like, you know what, this is just a really good fit. And I'm like, yeah, it is, right? <laughs> this is. So what would some of my responsibilities be here? <laughs> like, just like on a day-to-day, -day. like run me through a day in the life of my new job. <laughs> Whatever it is. I start piecing together that it's a totally a job that I could do. It was being a promotions assistant at a radio station. I'd done that for years and years, so I totally understand how to do it. And I was a promotions manager for a long time. So 
he like starts walking me around the building and I'm still trying to piece it together like what's really happening right now. And we get to this back room, he like a back office area and there's tons of action. There's like a bunch of interns, there's t-shirts, there's stickers, K-Rock, 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 all this cool stuff. And this is K-Rock New York. This is K-Rock New York that has three million listeners. It's amazing. Everything about it is like completely out of control. And he's walking me in grabbing my ID out of my hand, scanning it in while I'm filling out a W-2 on my very first day in New York City. And uh, as, I, as I thank everybody and, and get, you know, decide when I'm gonna be scheduled and all these like, great things, as I'm walking out, I'm saying goodbye and saying goodbye to this, you know, woman who's an idiot at the front desk. <laughs> saying goodbye to her, and I get into the elevator, and I had that like almost that exact same reaction of just like breathlessness, like I'd been adrenaline, like running so hard until that exact moment, and I'd been up all night, and I'd been driving, and I like new life starting, and it was so much stuff. And as soon as I got in that elevator. I collapsed to the ground, and I can't believe they're going to give me another chance to do it again. And if you're wondering why that woman let me talk to Pete in the first place, is Pete's last name is Hoffman, and so is mine, and she thought we were related, and I was coming for lunch. Yesterday, I accidentally double-dosed my medicine. I figured it out because while I was sitting at work, and I am quality assurance on circuit boards, so I'm sitting under a microscope looking at these boards, and it suddenly felt like the floor was bubbling up underneath me, and it felt like I was jerked to the right, even though nothing was moving. This is a telltale sign when I forget to take my medicine. But when I did the mental math, I figured out I was in a hurry, I was kind of running late, and I've tied taking my medicine to brushing my teeth. So what happened was I picked up the toothpaste, took a pill, brushed my teeth, put the toothpaste back down, and took another pill. And it reminded me of a story from when I was working in Baltimore, also doing quality assurance on electronic stuff, in 2011. And one morning, I felt the floor bubble up on me. That's no big deal. I figured I just forgot to take my medicine. As soon as I get a break, I'll get one of my pills in me and everything will be fine. But then it felt like the chair moved. I'm like, well, that's a telltale sign, except this felt different. It felt like the chair really moved. Now, these are high stools, so I'm not on the ground. It had a little bar that my feet were on, and it felt like the chair was moving around. And I was like, what is going on? That doesn't feel right. And just as I was starting to think that, 
The ceiling started rattling and making crazy noises. It was a tin ceiling and it was just going crazy in this factory. And I remember looking up at him and going, is there a helicopter landing on us? What is going on right now? And all of a sudden, the person who sat a couple of tables away from me, and she's from California, and she gave out a yipe and she dove underneath her table. I remember thinking, how does she know I forgot to take my medicine? Still kind of felt like the floor was bubbling, but not really. And then the boss comes flying out of the office, the front office, and he starts screaming, everybody out, everybody out, there's been an earthquake. So I hadn't forgotten to take my medicine at all, and we all got out of the building and everything was fine. I was 16 years old and I was at this drum and bass rave in downtown Toronto. The promoters of this rave had handed out a couple things to the ravers, uh, including suckers that turned your tongue blue and white towels for wiping your sweat from dancing so hard to the drum and bass. So during the party, I realized that there were these black lights and when I would wave the white towel, it looked like it glowed. And being not so sober, it looked really cool. So I would dance and wave the towel in front of my face and just loved it. So as I'm doing this, this guy comes up to me and you know the music's really loud so he just kind of motions to me uh, do that to me and then he gets down on his knee and so I start dancing and waving the towel in his face and I'm doing this sequence and you know my legs are going fast my arms are going fast and the towels moving just like silk like just slithering around through the air as if it's just doing it on its own and and it's all just coming together where I can let one hand off and spin it around and then catch it again and and it's all just really flowing. And then two other people come up at, or kneel rather right next to him. And so now I'm doing this to three people and still going and really feeling the vibe. And then two more people come on either side of them. And so now there's five people on their knee in a row and I'm just dancing with this glowing towel and just loving it, just having a really good time and really feeling it. And again, things are just vibing and it's just gliding and everything's just fitting into place so great. And then after a while, I'm exhausted. I've just been jumping around and dancing nonstop. 
really fast and really hard. And so I, I stop and just kind of look at them and smile and suddenly I hear this uproar of applause and I turn around and I had no idea that actually a circle had been created around me and not only were are they dancing for these five people in front of me, but the entire party had kind of stopped and watched this take place as well. So, just as a side hustle, I was utilizing this app to walk dogs. So, I go to this house one day, and <laughs> the instructions for the dog walker was to go through the side gate and meet the dog at the doggy door. So, I did this, and when I got to the backyard, there was a leash and collar on a table. So, I had presumed the owner had left, whatever, and I proceeded to call, Sadie, Sadie, come here, Sadie. And she comes bounding out the door, and she's this adorable black Labrador, very, very young. So I get her all saddled, put on her harness and collar, and then start the walk. So when we came back, I ended the walk, and we entered the backyard again. I unleashed her, and then as I turned the corner, there's these two sliding glass doors. One had her doggy door in it, and then the other one appeared to be attached to a bedroom of sorts. <laughs> I had turned, and there was a man took us right there. Fully nude, male, very tall, very muscular, which is nice, but I was not entirely sure what he was doing. It was like a side profile, and I'm, I'm just stunned. But I was like, you can't feed into this, so just quickly, I'm just telling myself in my mind, just go put the leash and collar down on the table, Liz, and turn facing the house so you don't make eye contact. So you just, you don't know. You don't know what they're doing. Maybe it's an accident. I'm just giving all this rationalization in my mind. <laughs> so I put the leash and collar down, run back to my car, basically. And the car is parked just outside of the side gate that I had entered. And I'm so frazzled. My mind is running through so many different scenarios as to, like, what possibly could have happened. They must have forgotten I was there. What was he doing? He was crouched in a strange position, and he was very close to the glass. He was practically butt-cheek to the glass. So maybe he meant for me to see? I don't know. So I was running through all these scenarios in my mind. I was like, okay, well, maybe I should let them know that I could see them. So what I did is on his pet report, you give a little summary. So in the summary box, I had put, walk went great. Me and Sadie had so much fun. She's a really good walker. And you know, maybe you should get some blinds because I did happen to notice or see you inside. Trying to be tactful because you know, I don't know this person. <laughs> So I sent that to their pet report, and then for the app, I said, hey, the owner was nude. I don't know why. And uh, I sent all the reports, and I started driving, and I get 
uh, like notification that he tipped me because you can tip on the app. And I was like, oh. and it was like two minutes later. So I was like, well, if he was having sex or doing something of that nature, there's no way he would have finished. So I was like, oh my gosh, I think he did it on purpose. And all the while trying to like basically assert my emotions because uh, I was in my early 20s and I I really like sex. <laughs> so in my mind, I was slightly turned on by this total stranger. I don't know. I just had so many mixed emotions and I was like, I can't be turned on. Like, I don't know who this person is. I don't know what their intents are. And I was just going back and forth with my internal <laughs> sex hormones going, no, not now, not a good time. But <laughs> I decided to be a PI. So I told another one of my friends, I was like, I know nothing about this person. The app only gives you a certain amount of information that's really minimal considering we're going into strangers' homes. So I really just had the name and then I had the address. So my friend suggested, he's like, well, you can look up who the homeowner is. So I did. And we actually found his name. So then I went to the social medias and I found him. And I was like, oh, oh my goodness, it is him. It's like this second rate golf player. And like, oh my goodness. I was like, no way. It made sense why he was like slightly fit then, I guess. Kind of, not really. But effectively, this incident initiated me to start my own business because I'm a different human than most, so I'm not going to necessarily take it badly. But all in all, I was happy in the sense that it allowed me to kind of start a new venture for myself. So now I get to screen all of my clients, know who all of them are, <laughs> and none of them a sexual intent in there. professional sex educator, and I also lead an interesting personal life. So an average week for me includes some colorful emails. Even so, when I got a note from a couple of my sex educator friends that they were having a fisting party the next night, that got my attention. My first mystery box show story was about fisting, so I got myself a bit of a reputation. So when a couple of my friends wanted to learn about how to do it, they said I was the first person they thought of. <laughs> this can be a bit of a problem in my field. People on dating apps seem to think that, hey baby, I bet you could teach me a thing or two, is a great pickup line. I don't want to work in my downtime, and I definitely don't want to teach in my personal sex life. Even so, because this message came from other sex educators who I knew had similar experiences, I knew that this would be an equal exchange. So I went to the party, and there were only five of us. Three other sex educators and a woman that I knew from other queer sex parties. We spent a long time having snacks and chatting and, you know, setting the mood as you do. And then we went upstairs. The other woman that I knew from the sex parties and I 
sort of got the party started because we were familiar with that sort of energy and dynamic. So even though it was casual and fun and playful, I was also describing what I was doing as I was warming her up with a vulva massage and checking in each time I added an additional finger. And I was showing everybody else what I was doing as I tucked in my thumb to make my fist as narrow as possible. And everyone was watching as I worked my hand all the way inside of her. Once she was completely warmed up, everybody else took a turn. <laughs> and it was really amazing to watch the look on people's faces when they got their entire hand in somebody's body for the first time ever. So needless to say, that first party was a hit. <laughs> and we decided to make it a regular thing. The core group of folks grew to about 12 people, and we were all femme-identified. So what that means is that we go through the world appearing feminine, and that's just a little bit more inclusive than saying women. What this sort of involved for each of us was that each time was not necessarily themed, but someone would propose what they wanted to think about that time. So sometimes uh, we focused on kinky things. One time we had sort of a show and tell about squirting. And one particularly memorable example was that somebody wanted to choose a new dildo. So each of us put on a strap-on harness, and we lay side by side on this giant, like, two beds shoved together situation. And Calico, sort of Goldilocks style, <laughs> worked her way down the line to find the cock that was just right. In case you're curious, it was the one that I was wearing, known as the captain. And I tell you this not just because it is a stunning visual, but to try to explain this space that we had created that was so safe for femme folks to explore their sexuality. So as somebody who generally goes to the world looking super feminine, I'm not generally read as queer. And this has even been said to my face. I had a woman once tell me, I would have hit on you years ago if I knew you were queer. So it's really amazing for me to be in a space where I am immediately seen and I don't need to worry about looking queer enough. So not only was this space sort of inherently magical, but we did a few things to make it safe and make it comfortable for everybody. For one thing, we started every party with an opening circle, which is basically what it sounds like. We would sit in an actual circle and everyone would talk about their feelings and what their week had been like, and what sort of fantasies they would like to manifest for that night. And that's also when we would talk about STI information. So we would share when we were last tested, and what our partner situation was, and what sort of barrier use made us feel the most safe. This is also when we would lead into our icebreaker, which was spin the bottle. But we put a little twist on it. We have a consent-oriented form of spin the bottle. So when you spin on somebody, you propose something, like perhaps a kiss, but then they can make a counter-proposal, like, how about a hug instead? 
And people were also really encouraged to get creative. So we would have people feeding each other things off of the snack tables like berries. One person was really into pickles, would always want someone to feed her a pickle. <laughs> Sometimes folks would do a little dance together, basically anything that you can imagine. And that got people in the habit of asking for what they want and feeling silly. And usually that game would just transition into whatever else was going to happen that night. So because this was a space where I generally felt so safe, I was able to feel more vulnerable at these parties than I usually feel at other sex and kink parties. Even so, it took me a few months to work up to receiving penetration at one of these parties. So as a true exhibitionist, I finally went for it the night that we were recording Amory Jane's podcast. <laughs> Something about having a microphone in my face just made me want to get fucked. So I started by topping Epiphora and I was using my hands on her and speaking into AJ's podcast as she was asking me about what I was doing. And then we switched and Epiphora had her fingers in me. And because of what a good communicator Piff was and what a safe environment we created there, I was able to say exactly what kind of touch I needed to reach orgasm. And as we were playing, other people were coming up to me, asking if they could kiss me, asking if they could play with my breasts. And it felt really amazing to be in this space where I could be the center of attention in a way that felt really safe. So this group became something that was really important to me. The group as a whole almost felt like a partner. And all of our bonds were increasing over time. Our sort of monthly or every other month meetings were becoming one of the favorite things that I look forward to on the calendar. But while that connection was increasing, the rest of my personal life was getting kind of rocky. Last August, I broke up with someone I had been seeing for three years. And then in November, a two-year relationship ended. And then a couple of weeks after that, another relationship ended. If you're having a problem with the math there, it's, <laughs> it's because I'm polyamorous and I had the extreme misfortune of having multiple relationships end within a short time period. So the upshot of that was that for basically the first time since I was a teenager, I was more or less single. And I started to notice things that I had been taking for granted. Although I'm very lucky that sex is fairly easy to find, all of the rest of the things that come with a relationship, like you know, the tenderness and the touch and just the offhand intimacy of a squeeze on the shoulder for support or snuggling with somebody while you watch a movie, all of that was missing. And it was having a real emotional toll on me. I would break out crying for no reason whatsoever. I would cancel plans last minute with friends because I wasn't sure I could keep it together in public. And that's the state I was in when I got the next little Facebook alert that a femme coven party was coming up. And my first thought was, well, I can't go to that. I am not feeling at all sexy. I'm gonna be a huge bummer for everybody else. So I posted to the group saying, you know, I'm not, I'm just not in that place right now. I don't think I can do it. And immediately I was met with a series of supportive and encouraging messages saying, you know, we get it if you can't be here, but we really hope you'll be here anyway. 
So I just barely pulled myself together and I went to the party and we started the way we normally did with the opening circle and one person said that they wanted to be fisted because of course and (laughs) someone else said that they wanted to be spanked and then it got to me and it was really hard for me and I really had to push myself I have a lot of caretaking tendencies and it can be hard for me to ask for what I want. I didn't ask for anything sexual. I just told everyone what a hard time that I'd been having and that what I really needed was just hugs and snuggles and support. And it was so hard to get the words out, but everyone was immediately so supportive. And this group of people that I was used to doing kink with or used to having sex with was coming up to me and offering hugs and snuggles and massages. And at one point I had four people massaging me at once while my head was in Calico's lap and she was petting my hair. And that just warmth and tenderness and skin-to-skin contact was exactly what I had been missing. And no matter how many wild, extreme, and kinky and sexual things that I've done in my life, That felt like the most vulnerable I'd ever been. And I was close to tears. That was a real learning moment for me. As somebody who teaches people how to ask for what they want, it was humbling and educational to have had to ask for something that felt so difficult for me. And I think that's kind of the point. It's easy to ask for something that we think another person wants to give, but it's something else altogether to ask for what we really need to receive. for this week's episode folks this is otis redding behind me now and we just heard from stella harris her latest book is tongue-tied untangling communication in sex and you can find her at stellaharris.net 
Before that, we heard those three anecdotes, that anecdote compilation, and we feature a lot of those on Patreon. That one was edited by John LaSala. Emily Colburn had the story about her meds. Tessa had the story about the rave. And Liz had the story about a strange day on her dog walking job. Folks, July 19th is when Risk is back in Los Angeles at the Hotel Cafe. That's July 19th at 7 p.m. Pacific. And Risk is back at Caveat in New York City on July 21st. That is at 9.30 p.m. Eastern when we're at Caveat on July 21st. Then, of course, don't forget we're in Detroit on July 30th. We are in Chicago on July 31st. All of that information and the links to buy tickets are at risk-show.com slash tour. Don't forget to look up our school at thestorystudio.org. All kinds of storytelling training, including our corporate workshops. That is at thestorystudio.org. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk. where we upload Patreon where we upload Oh, 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 oh.